protecting children from online harm. There haven't been strong kind of consumer protection rules in place to keep users safe. New legislation to crack down on social media companies and users who spread hate. No justice for the victim in a deadly act of road rage. The bungled investigation that destroyed the case. And another BC Ferries backup. If you live here long enough, you know just to plan ahead and just be prepared to be disappointed sometimes. The problems plaguing the carrier and its plans to modernize the fleet. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. The federal government is introducing long-promised legislation designed to protect kids from online harm. The bill takes aim at the non-consensual sharing of intimate images. And as John Hua reports, it will attempt to hold social media companies accountable for what's posted on their platforms. The danger looms from within our communities and from all around the globe. We held him in our arms until he took his last breath and passed away. <laughs> As the pain shared by Carson Cleland's family last month shows, the devastating results of predatory online practices always hits home. We only wish that Carson knew that we loved him more than anything in the world and that we would do anything to keep him safe. Carson Cleland, Robin Janjua, Amanda Todd, all BC teens that became targets of relentless cyberbullying and sextortion. We know the harms we experience online can have real-world impacts, with tragic, sometimes fatal, consequences. And yet, so much of this goes unchecked. Now the Canadian government is promising tough action with its Online Harms Act, Policing content that sexualizes children and victims of sexual abuse. Sexual content posted without consent, online bullying and the encouragement of self-harm. The act also targets hate speech and the incitement of violence or terrorism. Failure to do so will have a price. Significant monetary penalties. British Columbia already promising to hold social media companies to account. This vile behavior is against the law and there are serious consequences. They're these, the gatekeepers, right? And they design these social spaces and they set the rules. There are concerns about how far the act goes as private communications are exempt. As for the message it sends to the heinous cowards hiding behind keyboards committing these crimes. For me, you know, it, it's black and white and um, the sentencing has to be, has to meet the crimes. The wheels of justice to date have moved at dial-up speeds. Grieving loved ones hoping this legislation will finally connect. John Hua, Global News. The B.C. NDP government has made $10 a day child care a centerpiece of its platform in the past two election campaigns. But as Richard Zussman reports tonight, when it comes to spending and the number of daycare spots being created, they haven't lived up to the promise. If you're all done, that's perfect. Sorry. It's long been a signature promise for the BC NDP, $10 a day childcare. But with budget 2024 now in the books, it's clear BC is falling behind. We absolutely are behind as far as the demand from families, the need from families to access care. Over the past five budgets, the province has put in $865 million to hit the $10 a day pledge, while the program needs $1.86 billion, filling the gap, Ottawa. 
Well, the federal government has now funded more than $1 billion, up 26% this past year, compared to the $865 million from Victoria, up just 4.6%. My sense of the budget is really one of surprise that given the economic benefits, the economic growth potential of childcare investments, that the province wasn't investing more. Premier David Ebian says the government's still on track to meet the goal of universal affordable childcare, providing four times more funding than the previous government did. When I first became Premier, uh, one of the commitments I made to British Columbians was we were going to do everything we could to make sure that British Columbia was uh, remembered by Ottawa in federal programs. Space is just part of the challenge. This childcare facility in Victoria sat empty for months before opening because of a lack of staff. One of the biggest challenges though we faced is in uh, the qualified professionals to do this childcare work. Funding the physical spaces is one thing, but making sure that the workers are there to deliver the care is another. And the opposition says they're hearing more and more stories from frustrated parents. Parents are now looking around and saying, okay, well, I've got this person that lives next door. They've got a four-year-old, I've got a four-year-old, but I am paying thousands of dollars more. Just 10% of childcare spaces in the province, 14,000 of them, are $10 a day. The province still needing to make huge strides to honour a commitment made to the families of these little British Columbians. Richard Osman, Global News, Victoria. BC's Conservative Party leader is floating an idea he says would solve the problem of school portables. John Rusted says it's simple put more students into classrooms. But as Janet Brown reports, the Surrey Teachers Association calls that a bad idea. Surrey has had portables for way too long. Uh, it's become normal to have portables in Surrey. The Surrey School District has about 360 portables and Conservative Party leader of BC John Rustad says one way of reducing portables is increasing the number of students in classrooms. He says his plan would also see an end to extended days in some high schools. That's something we can do right away. It isn't a cost associated with it. We can create this environment and the savings that we would have by not having um, portables as part of our operating costs, we could actually put back into the school district and back into the classroom in terms of additional support or additional teachers. <laughs> I'm, I, I just, I, I literally laughed when I heard about the extra class sizes. The Surrey Teachers Association says Rustad is out of touch. It sounds like he has no idea about what actually happens in classrooms. The Surrey School District is also weighing in, saying having larger classes is not the solution to our district's capacity issues. We are growing at such a rapid pace, we need long-term sustainable solutions. That's just putting another Band-Aid on the problem. Surrey Councillor Linda Annis says portables are not the answer to a growing student population, and neither are bigger classes. Some things that we should be considering is building schools in of some of the high-rises that we have coming into city centre and along the SkyTrain corridor. We need to be looking at P3 partnerships. Premier David Eby admits portables are not ideal, but says the province is moving as quickly as possible to build more schools. In Surrey and in the Fraser Valley, uh, we have created uh, almost 10,000 student spaces. Now that would have been enough to resolve the portable issue had we had typical population growth in these regions, but we haven't. While the debate continues, many are hoping in the run-up to the provincial election this year, announcements will be made for new school construction in Surrey. Janet Brown, Global News.
been a slow go for B.C. Ferries passengers on the Tawasan to Swartz Bay route for the last few days. Angela Jung is live at the Tawasan Ferry Terminal now. And Angela, cancellations impacted a lot of people on the weekend and it's busy again today. It is busy today and it's not due to this wind. B.C. Ferries says it's due to some leftover travel from the weekend. Last night, there were huge lineups. There was a rudder issue on the Queen of New Westminster, and that had a ripple effect, causing cancellations for eight sailings. Today, things are calmer, but the 5 p.m. sailing to Swartz Bay was canceled, leaving some passengers scrambling. Okay, so there may be some help on the horizon here, Angela. We're getting our first look at some of the new ferries that are coming online in the next few years. Yes, BC Ferries will be replacing about six of its older vessels and the company is giving us a glimpse into what some of these new ferries could look like. It is aiming to build up to seven new ferries and they'd hit the water in 2029. The vessels will serve the busiest routes between Vancouver Island and Metro Vancouver. And what's, what's really driving this is we know our customers expect reliability, uh, one way for us to keep, keep improving for them there is that capacity to the fleet. If it improves their goats and the wait times and everything, I'm happy for it. If it's just your placements, also just happy for it because I know a lot of our delays are from maintenance and staff shortages. In total, we could only be seeing one new vessel added to the fleet, but BC Ferries says these new vessels would be able to carry 44% more passengers. Chris? Now we got to wait five years for them, it sounds like, too. Angela, thanks very much. Angela Jung down in Tawasson tonight. Well, a man who was charged with murder and acquitted in the death of another man on his wedding day will remain free after a procedural violation by police. As Rumina Dea reports, B.C.'s highest court has upheld a lower court ruling that's raised questions about countless other cases. Deep Singh Gill is free. No new trial for the man charged with murder and later acquitted. Crown has lost its appeal after a unanimous decision by BC's Court of Appeal. It certainly was not a technicality. If somebody or anybody wants to read the Court of Appeal's ruling, it speaks for itself. The trial judge's ruling examined in detail the constitutional failings in this case. In March 2021, Gill was acquitted of second-degree murder and attempted murder in connection to a deadly road rage shooting involving an innocent newlywed couple in Surrey 13 years ago. 30-year-old man Beer Kajla was killed. His new bride survived. More than six years after the murder, to the surprise of police, they uncover a crucial piece of evidence on one of the cell phones they initially seized an audio recording of the killing captured on an iPhone from a pocket dial. The shooter not identified. In the background, you hear him chambering bullets and rounds into his gun. And in the audio, uh, says, yo, what? And my brother said, you hit me. And then, he, and then all you hear him saying, no, 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 hold on. He goes, you hear saying, no, 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 I didn't. Hold on. And then you hear him put two bullets into my brother's heart. 
Crown's case crumbled after the powerful audio was deemed inadmissible by Justice Masuhara in March 2021 because IHIT deliberately violated Section 490 of the Criminal Code, holding the evidence unlawfully for years. A systematic and flagrant disregard for charter rights, said Masuhara. Now the province's top court dismissing Crown's appeal, ruling the court must not interfere with the judge's discretionary decision to exclude evidence, even in the face of extremely serious offenses that had tragic human consequences. I really feel for the family of the victim. It's frustrating. We felt like it was important to take this case as far as we could, given how egregious it was, the facts of it. And obviously, I'm disappointed with the outcome. It's unclear what impact the Gill decision could have on hundreds of other homicide files in the province. Romina Dea, Global News. VPD are warning the public about a convicted sex offender who will be living in Vancouver. Jordan Armstrong joins us now with more on Skylar Wayne Peltier and the conditions he has to live under when he's here. Jordan. Chris, when Peltier was just 16, he broke into a woman's second-floor bedroom and sexually assaulted her. The now 24-year-old is serving a five-year-long supervision order, and Vancouver police say he has the potential to be of significant harm to women. Where will he be living? The Parole Board of Canada never tells us exactly where. Peltier is a large man. He stands about six foot two. If you think he looks familiar, you're right. He has been released previously on long-term supervision orders, similar to what has happened this week. Uh, and, and he has breached those conditions and been taken back into custody. So we've done warnings about him in the past. He has breached those conditions and we have taken him back to jail. He's now being released into the community again. That's not our decision, the Vancouver Police Department. That's a decision that's made by the parole board. I think there's uh, lots of reasons why we'd want to be concerned about uh, Skyler. Uh, uh, of course, I've been watching him since he was convicted when he was a 16-year-old. Peltier has a long list of conditions. He's not allowed to drink or do drugs. He must report all contacts with females to his parole supervisor. He also has a 6 p.m. curfew. Chris? Let's hope it works this time. Jordan, thank you very much. Well, apparently winter isn't done with us. Just pardon me. We'll get to that weather forecast in just a moment. But first, a second person has now died as a result of a crash on Highway 1 in Burnaby just over a week ago. One woman was pronounced dead at the scene and RCMP now confirm one of the two other women critically injured has now died. An Uber with four passengers had pulled over near the Sprott Street exit at 3.40 in the morning when it was struck from behind by an SUV. Police say impairment does not appear to have been a factor. A GoFundMe says four friends were on their way home from a birthday celebration when the crash happened. Some businesses in Nanaimo are fed up with the repeated break-ins. One operation has been hit 24 times in the 25 years it's been open. And as Kylie Stanton reports, even though the owners keep trying to deter the thieves, the hits keep coming. Cleaning up the mess thieves leave behind has become part of the job here. 
Around and around we go. In the early hours Sunday morning, someone threw two rocks through the window of the Gold Silver Guys Nanaimo location, accessing the showcase, stealing at least 20 pocket watches, some more than 100 years old. We probably lost another three or $4,000 on this one just in product losses, and until we total up, we won't know what the property damage losses are either. It marks the business's 24th break-in across its nine locations in 25 years of operation. The losses, Daniel says, are staggering, amounting to more than $200,000, all of it out of pocket. The more you get broken into, the less insurable you are. It's the reality many Nanaimo business owners are up against as property crime continues to rise. Yona Christensen's storefront window was smashed just last week. The thief making off with more than $600 in clothing. It's concerning because the general public doesn't feel safe anymore in their own city. This has got to end. The government has to wake up. What in the heck does it take? Nearly a year ago, Premier EB and members of his cabinet announced the Hub program aimed at targeting repeat offenders. There is a lot to do. But according to the Nanaimo Area Public Safety Association, only 13 people are on the watch program in Nanaimo, 10 of which are now in jail. In the meantime, Nanaimo RCMP are hoping to work with business owners to ensure their safety. You have to target hardened properties, and we can work with them. There's accredited security companies that can work with them also. People should not be given the opportunity to break a window and be able to reach in and steal items. In this case, the thief was wearing gloves and a face covering and cannot be identified. The material loss is one thing. The emotional toll is another. Everybody feels violated in these instances where somebody decides to break into their home or into their business and destroy what they've spent a lifetime building. Kelly Stanton, Global News. Well, apparently winter isn't done with us yet. There's the possibility of snow in the forecast. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with the details. Christy, tell us about the timing. Well, Sophie, the concern is not for the morning hours. We're expecting it to be dry in the morning, but it certainly will be a cold, frosty start to the day, minus 3 with a wind chill of minus 5. It's in the afternoon that that precipitation moves in, and we're going to warm up to about 3 or 4 degrees. So it'll likely start off as rain or maybe a little bit of mix of rain and snow. But as we continue into the afternoon hours, that's when we have the potential of that temperature dropping and a transition to a mix of rain and snow in areas near the water or snowfall areas away from the water or higher elevations. So the potential is there for two to five centimeters. The best chance of seeing that snowfall would be anywhere between about 4 p.m. and 10 p.m. and um, it could impact the afternoon commute. Back to you. All right, thanks Christy. Well, it's still 10 months away, but the Taylor Swift concert is already causing some frustration. We need 10,000 more hotel rooms in the city of Vancouver alone. Swifties feeling swindled by the high cost of hotel rooms, why some say it's gouging and it won't get any better with some other big events coming up. That's next on the News Hour. Safety of the island's visitors is paramount to us. Look out below, growing concerns about what's going over the edge of the Granville Street Bridge. And a little later, the amazing total from our Variety Show of Hearts campaign on the weekend. How our viewers, you, really stepped up. First though, Metro Vancouver has a chronic shortage of hotel rooms and with some big events on the horizon, demand is only going to increase. That's right, we're 10 months out from the Taylor Swift concert and as Cassidy Moscone shows us, room rates are already through the roof. 
when Taylor Swift comes to town, her lyrics could become reality. Her fans priced out. Hotel rooms in downtown Vancouver for her December dates are through the roof. Looking at two night stays that weekend, the quality inn and suites nearly $4,000 total. The following weekend, the same stay is down to just $412. After a little more luxury, the Fairmont downtown is sold out. Its airport location, a little over $3,000 T-Swift weekend. The following is less than half the price. Going budget the Canby Hostel downtown will cost you $250 this weekend. It's $92. Anywhere Taylor Swift goes, uh, they see hotel prices go up. Uh, that's not something that's unique to British Columbia. The gouging raising questions. Does Vancouver have the capacity to host major events? The City of Vancouver says Council is working on it with hotel applications coming in can look at a couple of instances downtown that could involve conversion or renovation of existing buildings. We're also seeing some really innovative um, proposals such as a floating hotel in Vancouver on the waterfront. Government says 1,400 new rooms are in the pipeline but couldn't say when they'd be delivered. The problem won't be going away swiftly. A 2023 Destination Vancouver report has found hotel room demand will exceed supply in the cruel summer of 2026. So soccer fans will be in trouble when the FIFA World Cup rolls into town. So this is the kitchen. It's a full kitchen. For the housing minister shutting down any suggestion the government would relax new Airbnb rules that restrict short-term listings to the host's primary residence. Who wants to see people evicted just so Taylor Swift fans can have hotel rooms? That doesn't make sense to anybody, it certainly doesn't make sense to me. Crushing Taylor's fans' wildest dreams. Cassidy Mosconi, Global News. And in response to the government's crackdown on short-term rentals, Airbnb claims more than 60% of its listings are in areas of BC that have no hotels. And 80% of its listings are in areas of Vancouver that have no hotels. Airbnb also says its latest data shows British Columbians accounted for more than 1.1 million Airbnb rentals in this province last year, a record number. After a string of troubling examples of things either falling or being thrown off the Granville Bridge, advocates are now calling for safety improvements. It was construction fencing tossed over the edge early Saturday morning. But as Grace Key reports, there's no quick or easy fix. Luckily, no one was hurt when this metal fencing bracket came smashing down on the glass awning of the Improv Centre on Granville Island over the weekend. This wasn't the first time something like this has happened. Last spring, a toolkit fell on the roof of our building uh, and it fell from the bridge. Rogers Chocolates used to have a glass awning, but the building manager says people have thrown steel and rocks off the bridge. And after replacing the glass three times over the years, he finally switched to a cloth awning. It's been an ongoing issue with things either coming off the bridge or people throwing stuff off the bridge. And, and I think the city is dealing with the issues underneath the bridge, but crazy people are throwing stuff off the bridge, and that's totally insane. The general manager of Granville Island says they expect 11 million people through the popular destination in 2024, and he considers this a public safety issue. I'd rather make sure that 
Gravel Island is protected the way that it should be because it is the city's responsibility to put up that fencing. The city of Vancouver estimates future protective fencing for the Granville Bridge would cost between 10 to 20 million dollars. The fencing would be a component of suicide prevention. Crisis phones will also be put on the bridge sometime next year. Due to the high cost, fencing wasn't included in the first phase of the Granville Connector project, but the city is in ongoing discussions regarding funding for means prevention measures for Granville Bridge with Vancouver Coastal Health and senior levels of government. The risk of something happening is low, but the results could be catastrophic if there was somebody down here when something landed um, from off the bridge. Saturday's incident is under investigation. Grace Key, Global News. Still ahead, BC's battle against child poverty. The trend is going in the wrong direction right now. The data that shows poor families can benefit from better supports. But first, UK doctors get an invitation from BC. Come here for a better job and a better life. In an effort to hire more healthcare professionals in BC and not poach from other provinces, BC is taking its advertising campaign overseas. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the initiative to attract doctors from the UK. Keith. Yeah, quite an unusual venture here from the B.C. government. They're basically papering London and other cities in the U.K. and Dublin as well with billboards, with uh, advertisements in tube stations, in newspapers and social media, advertising the fact that B.C. is a very attractive place to come if you're a healthcare professional, particularly if you're a doctor or a nurse. Here's what some of the ads look like that have been running since uh, mid-February, and they're going to run right through to March. Care for others in a place that cares about you, for example. Giving patients what they need uh, shouldn't take everything you've got. Providing care for families should allow you to provide for yours. Uh, first nurse to patient ratios in Canada. Uh, again, the message here is BC is a better place to work when it comes to working in healthcare than it is in the UK. A point made by Premier David Eby today at an event in Vancouver. If the government of the UK uh, is not uh, recognizing what they have in terms of the amazing skilled professionals that are there, they're not compensating them properly, they're not treating them with respect, then they should come to British Columbia. We literally have the word British in our name. Uh, and they'll feel very at home here. We've got double-decker buses in Victoria. Uh, there's so many wonderful opportunities for uh, British doctors to come here uh, and enjoy everything that our province has to offer. Well, I wonder what the UK health system thinks about this. <laughs> Keith, what about getting uh, those physicians' accreditation recognized? Yeah, so that hurdle, which was quite cumbersome some time ago, has been eased somewhat in the last couple of years working with the federal government and the colleges for physicians and nurses have made it easier, particularly for healthcare professionals in the UK, uh, including Ireland as well, to come here. Not necessarily for other countries, but it's easier to make the transition from the UK to here without having to go through a, a long waiting time. For example, in the last year, not just focusing on the UK, but overall, almost 770 um, internationally trained healthcare professionals have come to be are now registered to work in BC and more than 800 internationally trained nurses, many of them from the UK, are also here in BC working in the healthcare system. Those numbers we've never seen before, so it's becoming easier to get foreign trained medical professionals into the system in BC and now we're going to start to see it, probably a significant number of people coming in from the UK. And hopefully that will translate into better uh, healthcare accessibility for British Columbians Let's as well. So. Thanks Keith. Yeah. A report uh, has found that while still lower than other parts of the country, child poverty in B.C. is back on the rise. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, some kids are feeling the impact a lot more than others. Okay, take the lead. Kids going to school hungry. 
single parents struggling to make ends meet. Situations that have gotten worse in BC in recent years. A new report card from child poverty advocates show how hard it can be to get by. One in seven BC kids living in poverty. We saw it go down in 2020. The poverty rate went down. It went back up in 2021. So the trend is going in the wrong direction right now. According to the data collected in the 2021 tax year, British Columbia is experiencing a child poverty rate of just more than 14%. Lower than the national average, but higher than it was the year before. The struggle far more pronounced for lone parent families, where the poverty rate is 40%. And in Indigenous communities, where the poverty rate is 31%. Families measurably worse off after pandemic supports were scaled back. Add in two years of crippling inflation, and the situation for families keeps getting worse. Expenses don't actually raise the poverty rate, they just raise the stress level. Right? So the poverty rate goes up and then and, and inflation makes it really hard to, harder. Organizations say direct government subsidies, one of the most effective ways to reduce child poverty. This report card urging the provincial government to index the family benefit to inflation. Families and people on disability, people on income assistance, uh, you know, need more support um, and that's work that we're doing and we'll be uh, tabling our new poverty reduction strategy in the House uh, this spring. The data for 2022 is expected to show income inequality growing wider. Housing costs and inflation are rising, but the government supports are shrinking. Without changes, it adds up to more kids living with less. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, shifting risk for colon cancer. The rapid rise in cases in a much younger population. And AI hallucinations in the courtroom. The historic ruling that means a BC lawyer has to pay out of pocket for her mistake. A BC Supreme Court justice has delivered a decision in a case that's believed to be the first of its kind in Canada involving the misuse of artificial intelligence in the courts. In a case involving a family dispute, lawyer Chongka submitted filings generated by ChatGPT, which included case law that didn't actually exist. It's a phenomenon called AI hallucinations. Ke admitted to the mistake, apologizing to the court and blaming inexperience. The opposing lawyers who discovered the rogue, uh, bogus case law sued Ke personally for the costs they incurred. In his ruling today, Justice David Masahara ruled Ke is personally responsible for those added costs. The amount is still to be determined. Ke is also still facing an investigation by the Law Society of BC. In Health Matters today, colon cancer is the third most common cancer in this country, according to Health Canada, with more than 24,000 Canadians expected to be diagnosed with the disease this year. And as Global's Catherine Ward reports, increasingly those patients are younger. Health Canada currently recommends people start being screened for colon cancer at age 50. That's standard across the country, unless a patient is considered to be at higher risk for the disease. But doctors, including surgical oncologist Dr. Shadi Ashmala, says he worries patients younger than 50 are being missed. 
we are seeing these increased rates of colorectal cancer in younger patients, I think it certainly warrants rigorously investigating decreasing the age of, of screening. And so in the younger population, we do see more advanced disease. We do see more aggressive disease, but that is likely a timing issue in that we are finding it later in the disease course. Colorectal Cancer Canada says the incidence of colorectal cancer among young adults under 50 years of age has rapidly climbed in recent years, and that this alarming reality serves as a stark reminder that vigilance and advocacy are paramount. Elizabeth Holmes with the Canadian Cancer Society says increased screening for those 50 and older has proven to be a successful strategy. It's declining faster than the rate for any other cancer type for both males and females. Doctors say unhealthy habits like smoking, poor eating and drinking choices and inactivity can increase your risk of colon cancer. Catching it before symptoms evolve is critical to improving your survival and quality of life should you be diagnosed with the disease. Colorectal cancer is really the perfect uh, disease to screen for because we know if it's caught early, we can change the course and we can cure it. And we know that it often presents early with no symptoms at all, which is why screening works. Catherine Ward, Global News, Toronto. Well, it was a pretty amazing weekend we had with the 58th Variety Show of Hearts Telethon. High fives all around. We had some incredible moments with the kids. We had the privilege of sharing their stories with you. And all of it helped us get closer to Variety BC's goal of supporting 900 kids and their BC families. And with your generosity, we are almost there with more than $2.3 million raised so far. That means we can help 824 kids. So Variety is so close to their goal, they have extended their donation match until February 29th. So now is the time to help Variety support more kids if you haven't already. And if you can, we ask that you please give at variety.bc.ca. Variety.bc.ca. And let's help get 900 families on the list tonight. Thank you so much, BC, once again. Great to have you on board. Coming up, a very close call for a Vernon family. I saw the roots were coming out a little bit. I heard this, like, cracking sound. The little girl's heroic move to get her little sister out of harm's way when a massive tree came crashing down. And later in sports, the undrafted Vancouver Giants goalie stopping more pucks than anyone else in the league. Whispered to me, Christy, there's snow in the forecast. Because <laughs> I just got back from a sunny, warm destination and now he's rubbing it in. Uh, she is. She's going to hate it. That is a tough start. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, it's a, tough it's to a, come back to that. It's been a while. Mm -hmm. It sure has. You know, the big the silver lining really is that we need snowfall. We're heading into a period where temperatures are going to be cold enough that we'll get snow in the mountains, and that's really what we need. We need that snowpack right now. It was a beautiful day today, but boy, was it chilly this morning, frosty, and we had a cold northwest flow. And yes, now we have the potential for snowfall, everyone. So here's how it's going to transpire. Overnight, we're going to see clear skies. We'll drop down to minus three. We'll see a wind chill of minus five. We could see a few flurries in through the morning hours, but the main event is really more so towards the afternoon hours. Now temperatures will warm up will warm up to about three or four degrees. So a lot of areas really will just see rainfall, but we have the potential of that temperature dropping and then a transition to a mix of rain and snow. Certainly higher elevations have the potential for snowfall. So it'll be a mix across the region. Anywhere between about say 3 p.m., 4 p.m. and then into 10 p.m. that we have the potential. So if you have to go to work, maybe just try and leave home a little bit early. We do have a winter storm watch in effect as well for the Coca 
Ocala. We're expecting significant snow uh, later tomorrow into our Thursday as well. And we have a snowfall warning for the North Coast inland section, so 15 to 25 centimeters of snow. Here's the timeline. It pushes into Vancouver Island through the late morning, afternoon hours, our region, late more or late afternoon, evening hours, and we'll continue to see that snowfall for the interior regions overnight and certainly the mountainous regions. I'm sorry, I'm going way too long because I'm a little bit busy today. I apologize, but here's a look. We're expecting the clear skies for those of you in the interior, but you'll certainly see snowfall in the evening hours, and we are absolutely expecting snow on the mountain passes for our region. Vancouver Island in the afternoon for our region. Late afternoon, we'll see that. So I'll step out of the way so you can have a look at the five-day forecast. It warms up on Wednesday and washes away. How's that for a return home? Soph, back to you and Chris. All right. Thank you very much, Christy. We'll bring Squire in now for a look ahead to sports. Uh, one of the things we'll talk about, Real Madrid wants Alfonso Davies to keep it real. Or Real. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Squire. Also coming up tonight, how a big sister came to the rescue in a wild windstorm. That's still to come. All right, let's get to it. Squire is here with sports. Thank you very much. Now, I know Elias Pettersson has not been scoring much this month, and there's talk about whether he even wants to re-sign in Vancouver after this season. But right now, that's all speculation. He hasn't said that he doesn't want to sign here. Uh, Pettersson has only two goals in his last 11 games, with Pittsburgh coming in tomorrow night. But if you go back to New Year's Day, he's actually tied for second-most goals in the league. Only Austin Matthews has more than Pettersson. Of course, Pedersen had a huge January where he scored 14 goals. Like the team itself, February has not been as good for Pedersen, although J.T. Miller is just off this list with 14 goals since New Year's Day. He's one of the Canucks who has been playing well in February. Well, Alfonso Davies and Real Madrid have apparently reached a verbal agreement for Davies to leave Bayern Munich either this year or next year and head to Spain. Real Madrid has been after Davies for a couple of years. Now, this is not official yet, and his contract with Bayern Munich doesn't end until next year, but something could be worked out with Real Madrid earlier. And the Whitecaps have sell-on rights, so they should see some money out of this deal as well. well what a great weekend of rugby. 67,000 fans watching sevens at BC Place. The Canadian women finished third. Big win over Australia for third place. Now, there's no deal yet for the tournament to come back next year, but we hear a new deal could be finalized soon, meaning Rugby Sevens would be at BC Place in 2025. Now, we just mentioned most goals in the NHL from the start of the new year. Well, in the Western Hockey League, since the calendar flipped, the fortunes of the Vancouver Giants have flipped as well. They've been one of the best teams since New Year's Day, and one of the big reasons is the play of goaltender Brett Merwald, although he actually has been great all season for Vancouver. 1-0, Wetch with Yakimchuk across. What a stop from Merwald. These are the game-saving stops Brett Merwald has been offering up for the Vancouver Giants all season long. The undrafted 20-year-old netminder has logged the second most minutes in the crease this season of any Western Hockey League goalie, and nobody has seen more vulcanized rubber than the 1,611 shots fired at Merwald in his 46 games played for the Giants. I try to bring a pretty uh, calming presence and stuff, and then, yeah, just in my game and stuff and how I, how I try to read the play, I try to stay calm and kind of let it come to me. I feel like if you, if you get too antsy and stuff, it, it, can, it can kind of get into a a little bit of a stir and, and you don't really know what's going on and your mind can kind of go crazy. If ever there was a perfect example of a late bloomer, you're looking at it. 
This is Merwold's first full season of being a starting goalie in the Western Hockey League, and four times this season he's been named the WHL's Goalie of the Week. What a save by Merwold! First of all, he came into this organization with no expectations or promises. He literally came for just opportunity to try to make the team. Not once did he ever come into my office, ask what's going on, am I on the team, what's happening? He just persevered through everything, and that's a testament to where he's at today, along with the tutelage of Paul Fricker. How would you describe his style of play? I would describe it as, as a, a blend, a hybrid, a mix, the kind of thing that I, I promote. Um, uh, he's a natural uh, uh, athlete. He has lots of coordination. He has got very good eye-hand coordination. And then combine that with what we see the last 10, 15 years out of the position where it's uh, more get your equipment in front of things rather than get your torso and head away from things. Uh, uh, it's a good blend. It's a good mix. Merwald isn't today's prototypical towering goalie in the crease. He's just a smidge over six feet tall, and he relies just as heavily on his athleticism as he does his technical skills. The goaltending coming up right now has become so technical, the feel for the game is being lost, and it's really hard to watch these young players because they're in the right spot, but they're not making saves because they're not trying to. They feel that if they're in the right spot, technically the percentage, it should hit them. So, uh, you know, Brett doesn't do that. Brett makes saves. He, 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 he jumps around, he does things, yet he still has a very strong technical base. I honestly think from the goaltenders that I've seen, we could see Brett, you know, working his way through pro and maybe one day finding him playing in the NHL. Dominic Hoshek never played the normal way. Nope. And look how well he did. Fun. All right, thanks, Squire. A frightening frighteningly close call and a true sisterly bond how an eight-year-old girl saved the day coming up next on the news hub an okanagan family is feeling extremely grateful in the wake of a windstorm that swept through the region on sunday toppling a huge tree onto their property two girls were playing in the backyard when one jumped into action to save her younger sister claudia van emmerich reports Adele Kovacs loves playing in her backyard, but on Sunday afternoon, the little Vernon girl was forced to swing into action to avoid danger. I saw the roots were coming out a little bit. I heard this like cracking sound. Seconds later, this large Douglas fir tree came crashing down just mere feet from where the eight-year-old and her three-year-old sister were standing. My sister was about like, that movement was like that. I picked her up. Adelie swooping up her sister, Ivy, I grabbed her and I pushed her, like, I pushed her under, like, under me so it wouldn't, like, the important thing is that she doesn't get hurt because she's younger than me. To get them both out of harm's way. I just had instincts to pick up my sister, and then after that I was, like, shivering, I had a headache, I was so freaked out. My husband had just come home from the grocery store and he said to me, Adrian, I think we need to get the girls to come inside. It's really windy out there and a branch might come down. Little did they know it would be an entire tree. I just heard the loudest thud ever and then screaming. So I ran outside. The panic quickly turned to relief when they saw the girls were unharmed. We all just stood out here and hugged and sat in shock. The tree did brush against the house, but it didn't appear to have damaged the structure. The family shocked by the terrifying incident, given they had an arborist examine their trees about a year and a half ago. Because we do have kids playing in our yard. Um, so we had this one worked on. They'd, uh, you know, given it a clean bill of health. It had no signs of any kind of disease or um, any, any kind of wear going on for it. 
Winds were very strong at the time this tree came crashing down, gusting near 70 kilometers an hour in the region. I actually spent most of my night last night waking up in moments thinking, what if they had just been in that other corner of the yard and could they have known because um, it came down so fast? So, uh, yes, it absolutely is running through my mind about that different outcome. The family now has a big cleanup on their hands. For now, though, little Adelie is making the best of the fallen tree, having some fun before it's cleared out. We're feeling so lucky that, uh, that nobody was hurt and um, thankful that Adelie was there to look after her sister in that moment. I absolutely think she's a little hero. Claudia Van Ammer, Global News, Vernon. <laughs> So if Adelie's younger sister wants to, you know, um, or if Adelie wants to borrow her younger sister's toys or something like that or clothes when they get older, mm -hmm. I feel like she's already got. Free range. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I think so. The big debt owed there, no <laughs> doubt about it. Uh, okay, we missed the weather window earlier, Christy. Yeah, a few technical problems today, but here's a look at your weather window for today. A nice snowy shot. Pat Suter sending this, this one from Hickson. And uh, yes, great shot there. I love it with the snow. Now, we have the potential for snow, as we've mentioned, but it's not until sort of the late afternoon hours. We are expecting uh, some wet snow for most areas, but higher elevations have the potential for two to five centimeters. Back to you, too. All right, thanks very much. Can't end the news hour without saying thank you again to everybody who tuned in to the show of hearts telethon and helped us help a lot of kids that was awesome thank you so much for your generosity once again all right have a good night everybody good night all <laughs>